You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. So, so grateful. Yeah, everyone have a seat. Friends on Zoom, you are welcome too. We're so glad you're here. I know we've got a couple folks out on the patio this morning. So grateful for you. Um, Wow. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, and I'm sorry, I feel like there probably are quite a few folks who slipped in this morning and I didn't have a chance to greet you or meet you if this is just your first or second time here. But I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. My name is Brenna Rubio. And our other co-pastor, Bill White, uh, I know several of you have already asked me about him this morning. I think Bill is on Zoom with our Zoom crowd this morning. Uh, He's currently in Virginia with his family. As many of you know, his mom has been on hospice for several weeks now. And so, yes, we will continue just to keep you updated on what is going on with Bill's family. But thank you just for keeping uh, them in your prayers. I know Bill really appreciates it. So, hi, Bill. Yeah, everyone. Is he? Okay, I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe he's on screen. Um, I don't know what's going on. But Bill, we miss you and we're thinking of you. Okay, well, I'm so glad you're all here. That last song, I was feeling it, that idea of that mountain we're climbing, and it just had me thinking like, okay, there may be a few of us who are at the peak of our mountain right here this morning, and if so, we celebrate with you. That's awesome if you're at the mountain peak. I know a bunch of us have some mountains that we are climbing, and so I just wanna tell you, whatever that mountain is for you, we're glad you're here whatever it is that you're bringing in. Because here at City Church of Long Beach, we really, really, really try to be a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And and that really is, that defines the mountain, right? The sense that we are on a journey and together collectively we're leaning in, believing that God has amazing things going on in the world, that God is at work, healing, making things new, making things right again. And um, we just wanna be part of that however we can. So, so glad that you're here. However you are gathering with us in person on Zoom, it's just a joy to be with you. Some of the folks that we love celebrating in a special way every Sunday, it's our kids, because we think kids are awesome. In a few minutes, yeah, thank you. Yes, kids are amazing. In a few minutes, we're gonna release two different groups at the same time. But kids, here's what the groups are. We have the kids who go off for kid ministry, who are like pre-K through fifth grade. And then this morning, our youth group is actually meeting with Amy as well in the cafeteria. Yeah, youth group, woo! Um, Youth group, by the way, absolutely accepting volunteers. We're accepting volunteers for all these things. If you're like, yes, this is my jam. Um, But so youth group is sixth grade, middle school, basically through 12th grade high school. And so we'll be with Amy in the cafeteria. But before we send you out for that, uh, our friend Charmaine is going to come up and pray for our kids because, you know, we like to do that. Here we go. Is it on? Oh, let's try this one. Testing. Well, that's, I can't tell. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Dear God, thanks so much for our kids. Uh, May you just bless them in this season. And as they go to their ministries, just bless their time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And now I'm not talking into this. 
Um, yeah, kiddos. So some of you up to fifth grade are heading out with Emma waving her hand right here. And others of you, sixth grade and up, if you want to go with Amy, waving her hand. Okay? Yay! You're going to have fun. And I am glad. I am glad. Um, last Sunday gathering before Christmas. Um, this morning, we are so delighted. We always, we just love all of your voices. Um, everybody has such an amazing story to share, so much wisdom to share with us, and people do that in so many different ways, coming up and sharing their stories. But this morning, we actually are excited to welcome up our friend Abby Nishimoto as our teacher, our preacher this morning. And so would you guys welcome her with me, and I'll let her introduce herself a bit more. Thanks, Abby. Let's see. Can I check your mute switch real quick? There, but Ooh. oh, you're on. No, test. Hey, all right. Awesome. Uh, so those of you who haven't met, my name's Abby Nishimoto. Um, my husband and I, husband Andrew and I came to City Church a few years ago. Is it really loud? Is it? Dubs, you're no? playing with it. Okay. Okay. Great. Oh, that's better. I was like, that's too much of my own voice in my own head. Uh, <laughs> so Andrew and I came a few years ago to City Church. I've had the pleasure of preaching a couple times, and you all have always been so warm and welcoming. So thank you to Brenna and Bill for uh, risking whatever heresy I plan to, to teach about today. I will say um, there, there was an exciting event that happened this morning. Do we have any World Cup fans in the house? Okay. Argentina took it. That was like the most exciting World Cup final I think that has ever happened. So if things are coming out jumbled, you're going to want to blame Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe because that's their fault, uh, not mine. So that's exciting. Um, before we get into it, we want to go ahead and read the scripture. Um, as we have been, we'll talk a little bit about the, um, the series that we've been in, but we're going to hear the story of Bathsheba today. There will be um, a, a kind of a jump in the scripture reading, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But I want to go ahead and invite up Edward Torales uh, to do the scripture reading. And you can go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word oh. if you'd like. Yes, hello. Good morning, y'all. Nice to see you. Oh. Okay. All right, let's get into it. This is uh, Samuel 11, verses 2 to 5, 26 and uh, 27. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Uh, then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought to his house and she, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Edward, thank you so much. 
I don't know if they told you the subject matter when you agreed to uh, to read today. So thank you for that. I don't. That looks sketchy, but we'll let Dove handle that. So just thinking back, um, for those of you who haven't been with us for this Advent series, um, I'm, I've been so excited about this very non-traditional uh, way that we're handling Advent this year, the lead up to Christmas. Uh, so this, this series is called Named, and it's all about the women in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew who were named. And the amazing thing about these women is they have some pretty scandalous pasts. And we are just a city church diving into those stories um, and kind of come what may. We'll see, we'll see what comes out of all of that. So a couple of callbacks um, just to the previous weeks. Um, those of you who are here the first week uh, when Brenna, we actually read through the lineage together and kind of applauded and fist pumped every time there was a mention of a mother and just how amazing that is to see women and mothers named in that lineage. And then yes, or last week, um, Dottie spoke about the extremely complicated and difficult story of Tamar. And I thought she just did an amazing job. I loved her honesty and saying, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the takeaway is supposed to be here. Um, but we know that Tamar's story is here and that is significant enough. Um, and, and really with Bathsheba, it's gonna be more of the same. So before I jump, in, I do just want to name the fact that this story contains some pretty graphic um, pieces, some things that um, could be pretty uncomfortable and painful, especially dealing with the matters of sexual violence. So I just want to give everyone the permission, whether you're here, whether you're online, even listening to the podcast later, um, to care really well for yourself. And if this isn't a topic, um, that this is a good time for you to dive into. It's a beautiful day. Um, take a walk, and that's great. We also have a few resources, I think a slide coming up. So if this is a topic that might bring something up for you, our pastors are always here and willing to talk with you and support you through that. And then uh, we also have a few other resources. I think those are coming up. There'll be a handout, yeah, if they if they don't come up. I think probably those online are seeing some of those resources. So let's get into Bathsheba's story. As I mentioned, there was a little bit of a jump in the, the Bible reading since we didn't want to, you know, kind of have to read all of those verses. And so I'll just kind of go through the story. And what I'd love for you to listen for as um, I'm talking through the story of Bathsheba is the entirety of her story and kind of the progression that you'll see. Because sometimes Bathsheba gets a little bit lost and we don't get to hear sort of her second and third act. So Bathsheba was an Israelite woman who was married to an Israelite man named Uriah, who was fighting for the army and um, you know out in battle. And King David, who should have also been out fighting, was instead um, in his palace I don't know, playing Xbox or whatever it was that he was doing instead of fighting and got bored with that. And so he went up to his roof and was kind of, you know, surveying. And this is, you know, the man after God's own heart. This is like the capital D King David um, guy. And he sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof. And that might sound really weird. Like, why is this woman taking a bath on the roof? Um, that was kind of how houses were back then is um, that was where people would bathe was on the roof. And also uh, the text tells us that 
this was a ceremonial cleansing. So she um, was following God's laws to Israelite woman and cleansing herself after finishing her period. Um, so this kind of tells us that Bathsheba was um, somewhat orthodox, right? She was, she was doing her best to follow the laws for women at that time. Well, David sees her bathing and as you heard in the text, sends his people to go get her and bring her back to the, to the palace. And this is where we're not gonna mince words about what happened. Uh, David, David raped Bathsheba. And there are um, people who have written about this, scholars, articles that have tried to minimize what's happened and said, oh, maybe this was consensual or maybe even this was Bathsheba's fault for being so immodest on the roof. We're not doing that here. Um, we are naming this for exactly what it is because we know the pain that is multiplied in churches when the voices of victims and particularly women victims are not believed. So we don't do that here. Um, we believe that this was rape. We know it was rape. It was sin through and through. Um, and it actually just goes from bad to worse. Um, so after the rape, Bathsheba becomes pregnant and lets David know. David tries to solve this problem by bringing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, home from war. Because in his mind, if Uriah sleeps with his wife, then this whole paternity question uh, will be put to rest and he kind of gets off scot-free. Well, that didn't work out because Uriah was a very loyal and committed person and believed that because his you know, comrades were out fighting, he should not be able to go home and take comfort with his wife. And so he refused to go home um, and so really kind of sets up that foil between him and David in terms of their righteousness. And so David then takes his sin one step further, and he actually asks his commanders to leave Uriah on the front line alone and undefended, effectively murdering him, which is exactly what happens. Uriah dies, um, and then David brings Bathsheba into the palace to be another one of his wives. So this is just trauma after trauma after trauma. If you think about um, this all from Bathsheba's perspective, David was confronted with his sin by the prophet at the time whose name was Nathan. So Nathan tells him, you know, this is what you've done. David does repent. Um, a lot has been made of that, which is not the subject of this sermon. Um, and then as a consequence of that sin, their child uh, that was conceived in the rape dies. Um, so now uh, Bathsheba has been raped. She has had her husband murdered. She has now had her child die. Um, but that is not the end of her story. So we know from scripture that after the child dies, Bathsheba and David are able to conceive again, and they have a son whose name is Solomon. We know him as King Solomon. She ended up having three other children. And again, this is kind of where a lot of our thinking about Bathsheba sort of ends. Like, okay, well, she had a child, and in that day, that's kind of what gave women, you know, worth and identity and, and purpose, and so great, she has her son. Um, but that's not the end of, of her story. Actually, we know uh, from First Kings that something happened later on um, as David was getting older. He had start, started to kind of lose sense of what was happening in his own kingdom. And so Solomon's half-brother, 
so one of David's sons by another woman, decided he didn't want Solomon to be the heir to David's throne. And so he was going to go ahead and assert himself, put together an army, and, and try to take the throne. So Nathan, remember him, he was the prophet who told David, you know, what's up with all the sin. And Nathan actually goes to Bathsheba and, and recruits her help and says, hey, this thing is going on. Um, your son and his, you know, rightful heir to the throne is in danger. So can you please go to David? And again, we know how women were viewed in this time. We don't know what the type of relationship was between Bathsheba and David at that point. But what this shows us is that Bathsheba had some standing. She had some honor that Nathan thought, hey, the best course of action to get this thing back on track is to have you talk to David, which she does. David listens, and between her and Nathan, they're able to sort of convince him that, hey, this is a problem. He reestablishes Solomon as the rightful heir. As we know, Solomon's also in that, excuse me, in that lineage of Jesus. And so she kind of gets that back on track. It actually doesn't stop there. The half-son who was trying to get the throne, then he also goes to Bathsheba. And he's like, hey, now can you help me? It did not work out for him. But as I'm reading these stories, I'm like, what I'm sensing is Bathsheba is kind of like the puppet master here. Like, she's kind of at the center of, of this all. And that's really interesting to me, right? This is someone who, again, trauma after trauma, she could have curled up in a corner. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the road. But it wasn't. You know, so that's kind of that second act is that she had this influence and this advocacy in the palace. And then, of course, we know that third act in how she was honored. We see her listed in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew as the wife of Uriah. And also, there's some scholars out there. There's debate about this, but there's some scholars that have even said that Proverbs 31, some of you are familiar with that chapter. It's all about a noble wife. Um, there's a lot of scholars who believe that Solomon wrote that proverb and that he actually wrote it about Bathsheba. That's super interesting to me, like whether or not it's true, the fact that there is this place of honor that Bathsheba has been given. So today, you know, as we think about Bathsheba's story, um, it invites us to consider a couple things. First of all, the power that, that is within our own stories, the redemption that we can find there, and then hopefully the impact that we can find, just like we see in Bathsheba. So just a question to consider as we kind of move um, into the rest of this is, is thinking about your own story, right? What is your story? What's my story that the world needs to hear? Let's kind of consider that together. So let's first step into this power that we find in Bathsheba's story. Something that I think is really interesting is in um, Matthew's lineage, she is not named as Bathsheba. She's named as Uriah's wife. And I was actually talking with a friend last week and she was like, oh, well, that's kind of a bummer. Like that seems kind of like minimizing to her. Like, oh, she doesn't even have a name. Like she's just someone's wife. And I was like, oh, well, I actually see it differently. I see it as her being named as your as Uriah's wife was her before all these things happened to her. So this is a reminder that she had some agency in her life and it's the author of scripture not backing away from the grittiness in this story. So if it just said Bathsheba, your eyes could kind of like, you know, trip along the lineage and you wouldn't think twice. But the fact that she's called Uriah's wife 
yet the child in the lineage is David's, that automatically raises some questions, right? So it's almost like Matthew is like, hey, don't forget. Don't forget what happened here. Don't forget everything that's true in this lineage, in this story of Jesus. This was not like roses and sunflowers all the way through. There was some stuff that happened that you need to remember because it's important. So I think that's really, really important. Um, we've talked a few times about this uh, Wilda Gaffney quote throughout this, um, this series, and I just wanna, wanna put it up again because I think it's, it's so good. Are we seeing the slides here or no? Yeah, okay. Um, so Will Gaffney's quote is, Jesus was not ashamed of his mama or any of his folk or the secrets and skeletons in their closets. That's good news right there. Some of you are scandalous and some of you are scandalized and Jesus is not ashamed of any of us. I love, love, love this quote. And it's not just sexual violence, right? That, that has affected some of us in the room um, but we all have places of shame, things either that we have done or things that have been done to us that have caused us pain. We've all been wounded and hurt and are carrying things with us. Like Brenna was saying earlier, we're all kind of on that mountain path somewhere, kind of struggling through. And just the power of that story, if you think about what if Bathsheba's story wasn't included in scripture? What if this happened? and no one knew about it. We never knew what really happened with David. We never knew the origins of Solomon. We would be missing so much. Um, and the same is true for all of our stories as well. Uh, there's a woman named Stacy Gagnon. Uh, she is an advocate for children with disabilities. She does an, a lot of amazing work um, with trauma and inmates and She's like a friend of a friend, right, on Facebook. And so I was, I was, happened to see a Facebook post of hers a couple weeks ago. She was doing some work at a prison with some inmates um, and, and working with them through some trauma. Um, these female inmates, many of them had experienced um, sexual violence. And the inmate in prison told her, well, I could never, they were asked to journal, right? And the, the inmate said, well, I could never journal about what happened to me because if I journal it, then that makes it real. And so Stacy went on to tell her own story of enduring sexual abuse, and she shared that for years. She refused to think about it, refused to talk about it. It was just wrapped up in that corner for the same reason as the inmate. But when she did start to share, she realized that sharing her story didn't make it real. It's already real. It already happened. Um, sharing doesn't give it its power. It actually takes away the power because that shame thrives in secrecy and in, in silence. And that just really made me think like, okay, what, what is it in my life? What are the parts of my story that I've even maybe resisted acknowledging to myself? Like, this is a thing that happened that was hard, or this was a mistake that I made that I haven't fully owned up into. Um, Brene Brown is a favorite author of mine, and she said, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness, because you're trying to create a whole new sort of reality. So just that first, that first thing that I would love for us to take hold of is really recognizing like our stories have power. Bathsheba's story has power. Um, 
and, and it was a terrible thing. Like, make no mistake about, you know, what I'm saying. What was done to her was evil. Um, but the second act, right, that next part, is that there is redemption found in this story, right? There's a purpose that's revealed in Bathsheba's pain. That doesn't make it okay, but it makes it redeemed. And redemption is that through line of scripture. I had a professor once who talked about redemption. Um, he, he used the word reversal to describe it. So basically a person or a story or a circumstance is kind of on one track, you know, towards one end. And then when it's redeemed, it's reversed. The ending is reversed, it's changed. And that's what we see all through scripture and especially at Advent, right? That is what Christmas is all about, is that the world was dark and hopeless and going nowhere. And then Jesus comes and he, he reverses it. He redeems us all. Um, it, it's the switching, right? The switching that we see in Bathsheba's life the switching that Jesus brought to all of us and so we can experience in our own life. Um, the, the prophet Isaiah, when he was talking about the call on his life, he referenced this reversal. So in Isaiah 61, he says, the Lord sent me to proclaim good news, to comfort all, their, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That's the reversal, right? the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. As I was reading that, I just was like, I was like picturing Bathsheba, right, at the end of her life, you know, and thinking about what she had endured and where she was at, um, the honor that was bestowed on her and continued into history. So we can think about the power of our story. We can think about how Jesus has redeemed our stories and our lives. And that allows us then to think about the impact of our story. And, and this, again, do not hear me saying that this is tying up a pretty bow on terrible things that have happened to us. That's toxic positivity and gaslighting and has no place here. It's not to say, oh, we're glad these things happened. It all worked out for good. No, it's that, that God can take an impossible, evil, terrible situation and somehow, by some miracle, still create something beautiful and something good in all of us. So we claim our story, we live into the reality of God's redemption that allows our stories to have that impact. Um, Bill said a couple of weeks ago, uh, these women were more than the worst thing that ever happened to them. Right? And it's the same for each of us. We're more than the worst decision we ever made. We're more than the worst thing that ever happened to us. As we heal through those things, we can find real impact. And the world needs to hear your particular story. Right? And by the world, I don't mean go blast it on Facebook. That's not the takeaway from this sermon. Like, what are the small ways that you can use your story to impact those around you? I think about you know my own life and the people who have impacted me because they have lived into the stories of redemption in their own life. A couple of years ago, actually, when we first started coming to City Church, um, we were in a really, really rough spot in our marriage. The point that I was like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if this marriage can be salvaged. And um, actually, Bill connected me with Lisa Carpenter. Some of you know her. She's one of our elders. And so Lisa um, met me 
in my story because she had lived into the redemption of her own marriage. She was able to share about both the pain that she had endured and the way that God had redeemed their story in a way that I truly feel like saved our marriage. I don't know if it weren't for Lisa and her sharing her story with me, if we would be where we are. Um, so that's the kind of power you know, that each of us have as, as we move through things that feel impossible. And as you know, through God's grace and strength, we're able to heal from them and through them, there's opportunities um, to share and support the people who really need it around us. You have these gifts for the world that we might not always acknowledge. So as I just wrap up here, I think that's my, my biggest encouragement as I think about Bathsheba, I think about the fact that like the wife of Uriah is listed right there in the lineage of Jesus. Um, it's that there's a really, really important story that each of us have. Um, there's redemption there and that we need that. Um, and I, I was just thinking about this morning, um, earlier this week at work, we did like a reflection exercise on the year and we made this big tree of all the accomplishments that we did at work. And then we also talked about how did we grow and what did we learn? And I didn't even connect this to the sermon until this morning, but what I wrote on my little uh, green leaf was your authentic self is your best self. And I was thinking about that, you know, in the context of work and, you know, being authentic to who I am as a leader and all of that kind of stuff. But I think it really connects with what, what we see through the story of Bathsheba, right? Again, that grittiness of scripture is right there. It's not, it's not sanitized. The real story is there. And because it's there, we can get hope in the redemption of, of what's to come. So Bathsheba is still Uriah's wife. Her story was not erased and her impact is acknowledged in that lineage of Jesus.